0: Good morning everyone. Welcome back from your Zoom rooms. What a fascinating question. Your favourite meal. I hope you managed to fill the other two minutes with something more interesting, but um, yeah, welcome back. For those that are joining us online for the first time, for those joining us in the room for the first time, my name's Pete, Get my wife B. we lead the church here. So massive welcome to you. Also welcome to those watching later in the day in Stockwell. Why don't we just give a round of applause for those um, gathering in Stockwell. Quick message for those in Stockwell, you're my favorite congregation. And to those in the room, I want you to know you're my favorite congregation. And for the 12 p.m., the 4 p.m., and the 6.30 p.m., the 4 that's getting recorded. This is a very awkward moment. The 4 p.m., I love you. You're my favorite congregation. Always find out which one the video is going to. Anyway, that was an awkward start. Um, So we're going to continue our teaching series in the book of Revelation, Unseen Reality. And what a series it's been. Like, brutal... Um, hugely challenging, but beautiful to see us as a family journey through these seven letters to the churches. And the good news for today is that there's no call to repentance for the church in Philadelphia. We're going to read this letter in a moment. Pretty much every letter, five of the seven, Jesus calls the church to repentance. And you have this statement in each of the five letters, I have this against you, dot, dot, dot. And you can imagine as they're reading it, that's the moment they're like bracing for impact. But for the church in Philadelphia, Jesus doesn't say that. There's no call to repentance. So for those of you that have been thinking, this series is so intense, I'm not sure I can take it anymore, then today is a morning afternoon for the 4 p.m. of of rest, like no call to repentance, but there is a call to adventure. And this is an absolutely beautiful letter. So Cal, why don't you come up? I want to give a round of applause to Cal. He's going to read this letter to the church in Philadelphia.
1: I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches.
0: Oh Amen. Let's, let's pray. So Holy Spirit, would you come... As we go through this text, would you open our eyes to see Jesus, to hear his heart for the church in Philadelphia, but more than that, his heart for us now here in London. Spirit, would you come and speak to us through your word. Amen. Amen. So here's a summary of the letter. There's an open door of opportunity, but it's matched with little strength. That's more than just a summary of the letter to the church in Philadelphia. I would say that's a summary of this cultural moment. Like this is a moment of extraordinary kingdom opportunity. Like worldviews have been shaken. There is a spiritual longing that is stirring within the city and across the world. People are asking big questions about human flourishing, This is an incredible opportunity for the church, and yet we come to this moment in extraordinary weakness. Even as I said that this is a letter where there's no call to repentance, but there is a call to adventure, I'm guessing some in the room were thinking, I don't want adventure. I I really don't want an invitation towards a pioneering spirit. I don't want to nurture a mindset of playful curiosity. I want to go to bed for a year. Anyone else feeling that? Like, I want to book myself into a a spa hotel, leave the kids hopefully somewhere safe, maybe with grandparents or just anywhere particularly safe. And then I want to book in. I I want to have a a massive sleep. I want to lie in. I want that to be followed by a full English breakfast. Can I hear an amen? A full English breakfast. I want downtime, and then I want a substantial lunch. And then I want to book myself in for a massage. I then want to go for a swim, and then I want steak and chips with a few glasses of red wine. Then I want an early night. And then I want to lie in in the next morning and I want to sort of copy, edit, paste for 365 days. Anyone else feeling that? God, yeah, it's just me? It's a bit of an overshare? Okay, only one glass of wine then. Like, But that's what I'm feeling. I'm guessing many others are feeling that. I don't want adventure. What I want is rest. I want recuperation. Like, I need comfort right now. But it's so often the way in the kingdom story that when the people of God are at rock bottom, that's when God says, here's an open door of opportunity. Because God's power is made perfect in weakness. That's the apostle Paul. Jesus said something similar. This is Matthew 5, the message translation. He says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule." We've hit this moment collectively, probably individually, where it's like there is little strength. There's nothing in the tank. And Jesus would say to us, great, here's an open door of opportunity. And some of us are like, I don't want an open door of opportunity. I want bed. And Jesus says, no, it's fine. Come through the door. I will give rest to your souls. Like I will minister to your needs. But in this moment of weakness, my power will be made known, right? That, that's how it works in the kingdom of God. Anything that happens right now in the church, it won't be human gifting. It won't be our energy. It won't be manufactured by human momentum. It will be the spirit of God, and it will be the power of God, and it will bring glory to Jesus. This is the moment we find ourselves open door of opportunity with little strength. Now, for those feeling anxiety, like, I don't have it in me for adventure, let's dig into the text, because comfort comes from the text. So Jesus says, the one who is victorious, in other words, the one who comes to me in the moment of brokenness, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Let's just pause there. This is what I love about Jesus. He knows his church inside out. Like, hasn't this been our experience reading through these letters? Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, now Philadelphia. He knows exactly what's going on in his church. He knows their needs. He knows their desires. He can satisfy every single one. Because the church is his bride, right? Like, They're lovers. We are God's lover. He knows exactly what we're going through. To switch metaphors, we're the children of God. He knows our needs, our desires. He can satisfy each one. So yesterday our youngest daughter turned 8 birthday now my wife b is unbelievable when it comes to birthdays year upon year she hits a home run because she knows our kids inside out she knows their desires she knows their needs and she satisfies each one like presents they hadn't even thought of they arrive on the birthday i know my task simple be cheerful Be playful, be present, and don't overcomplicate things. Don't suggest we could do X, we could do Y. No, B hits a home run every single time because she knows her kids inside out. That's how God feels towards us. He knows our needs. And when it comes to the church in Philadelphia, he knows their needs. Let's look at them then. He says, I'll make you a pillar in the temple of my God. What's that got to do with? And the answer is it's got to do with significance. Like the people in Philadelphia, they were yearning for significance. Listen to this, when a person had served the state well, when he had left behind a noble record as a magistrate, a public benefactor, or as a priest, the memorial which the city gave to him was to erect a pillar in one of the temples with his name inscribed on it. I'm aware of the exclusive language, by the way, when it comes to gender, this is like an ancient text. Um... It goes on, Philadelphia honored its illustrious sons by putting their names on the pillars of its temples so that all who came to worship might see and remember. Like in Philadelphia, they were like, God, I want to live a significant life. And if I do something remarkable, then one day in one of the temples in this city, there will be a pillar with my name on it, right? Right? And Jesus says, that's what you're yearning for, but true significance is found in me. If you come to me, I'll satisfy that longing. And in the temple of God, the everlasting temple, right? There will be a pillar with your name on it. And this is a promise to the sons and to the daughters. Find fulfillment in me. We're all yearning for Significance, right? Jesus says, if if you really yearn for significance, come to me. It goes on. He says, never again will they leave it, the temple. What's that got to do with anything? And the answer is it's got to do with our longing for security. Now, here's the thing about Philadelphia. It was established on the side of a volcano which meant there were regular earthquakes. Every so often the volcano would explode. And whenever they felt tremors, they would leave the city. And then when it, when it was safe, they would come back. And then tremors, they would leave the city in a rush and eventually come back. And when then they felt the tremors, panic would kick in. In other words, they constantly felt insecure. Like we felt tremors in this last year. It stirred up deep insecurity. And Jesus says, you know, the city I'm establishing, heaven on earth, the new Jerusalem, you'll never need to leave it. You will feel totally secure in my presence. You can imagine the people of Philadelphia reading this thinking, oh, we just long for significance and we long for security. And Jesus is offering us that. Let's keep going. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them a new name. What's that about? Well, I mentioned there were earthquakes. Now, there was one massive earthquake in AD 17. It devastated the city. And Rome came to the rescue. The city of Rome pumped in some money to rebuild the city. Um, And as part of the process, they thought they'd rename the city because they were powerful enough to do that. And they said, you will no longer be known as Philadelphia. You'll be known as Neo-Caesarea. In other words, the new city of Caesar. So they went through a name change. Fast forward a few decades, there was another earthquake. It devastated the city. Another emperor said, we're going to change the name of the city because we're powerful enough to do that. And we're going to impose a new identity on you. The city's going to be called Flavia after the Flavian dynasty of emperors. Um, so for the next little while, the city was known as Flavia. Now, what you need to know is that the Philadelphians hated the Flavian dynasty of emperors. So eventually they said, sack off that. We want our old name back. And they reestablished the name Philadelphia. But you can see how that would make a city feel constantly, people imposing an identity on them. Does this ring any bells? The cultural moment we find ourselves in where people are constantly putting identities on those around them. You're this, you're that. Your identity is found in your postcode, in your career, in your gender, in your sexuality. The list goes on. We label you this, we label you that. They were searching for a secure identity. And Jesus says, what you're yearning for, it will be satisfied in me. And here's the identity I give you, the beloved of God. Can you see how this would be like phenomenal news for the city of Philadelphia? Now, these are the three great longings of humanity, right? For significance, for security, and for love, a secure identity, a place to belong. When we're knackered, when we are of little strength, we go searching to certain people, to certain places to satisfy these needs. And I want to ask you the question, where are you taking these needs right now? Where have you taken those needs during lockdown? Because when it comes to significance, most of us are feeling a level of insignificance right now. We're not getting the same adrenaline rush, dopamine rush of like bossing it in the workplace. Most of our colleagues don't even know what we're doing because we're working at home. So there's there's a gap, there's a void. When it comes to security, where are you taking that need? I found it fascinating that Around a million people left the city of London during the different lockdowns. What, why would people leave the city? That sounds a lot like Philadelphia, right? It's escape, we felt the tremors. A lot of people, particularly younger demographic, heading home to mum and dad. Like there's some very obvious explanation for that, probably be better food, you know, a bit more space, a garden, but I wonder if underneath that, in a moment of uncertainty, we wanted the security of mum and dad, right? When when you're in a real mess, what do you do? For me, it's like, mom, that childhood voice still rises up. Not dad for me, but it's like, mom, like that sense of I want to feel secure. So significance, security and identity, like where have you taken that need? And, And Jesus basically says these are core needs that we all have. They're satisfied in one place, and that's in God himself, our creator. So just, can we hit pause there? I'm just going to welcome the Spirit. This isn't the end of the sermon, by the way. Don't get excited. Just pause there and welcome the Spirit to come. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fall in this room? For all those watching on the live stream, for those watching later at the 4 p.m., Holy Spirit, come. We bring before you these deep longings for significant security and identity. And we ask that you'd satisfy them. Would your love satisfy our deepest needs. Holy Spirit, come. Amen. So here's the movement. When we bring our deepest longings to Jesus, we hear the invitation towards adventure. I want to minister to you because I also want to minister through you to bring a blessing to those around you. So listen to what it says. This is verse 7. These are the words of him who's holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds, he says to the church. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Now, this open door two senses of meaning then. Number one, it's the door of salvation. Number two, it's the door of opportunity. But number one, let's look at the door of salvation. Now, this quote is lifted from Isaiah chapter 22. So those reading it in Philadelphia, they would know this is recalling this passage. In that day, I will summon my servant, Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David, which is a metaphor for the kingdom of God. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. This is Jesus basically saying, you know your scriptures, you know Isaiah chapter 22. Well, I'm the fulfillment of Eliakim. Like he hold the keys To the house of David, the riches of David could be released through this servant of the king. Well, I'm not just the servant of the king. I am the true king, the king of all kings. And I hold the key to all of the riches of heaven. If you want to experience fullness of life, the riches of the kingdom, then come to me. It's an open door. This is incredible news. It's an open door. It's never going to shut. So the invite is, is come to Jesus if you want to experience life in the kingdom of God. Jesus said something similar, by the way, in Matthew seven. He said, "There's two gates, two doors, if you like. There's a narrow gate; it leads to life, and there is a wide gate that leads to destruction." Listen to this commentary from John Stott. He says, "Here's two gates; both are open." One door opens to a broad and crowded thoroughfare. The road slopes gently downward and ends in the destruction called hell. And when you think of hell, don't think of like a devil with horns and and fire and all of that stuff. Think of eternity without God, eternity without peace, eternity without shalom, eternity without God's purposes. The other door opens onto a sparsely populated and narrow path which winds steeply upward and leads to life in the city of God. If you've never said your yes to Jesus, here's some really good news. The door is open and it will always be open the invite is there. All you need to do is walk through the door. In other words, submit to Jesus, surrender to Jesus, say, I want to follow you. And you will walk through that door into the purposes of the kingdom of God. That's human flourishing by the way. How amazing is that? So this is the door of salvation we're talking about. But it's more than just a door of salvation. It's a door of opportunity. Now listen to the Apostle Paul then, who regularly references the door of opportunity. He's a truly apostolic leader, always looking for the door of opportunity. Um, 1 Corinthians 16, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door of effective work has opened to me. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door, of opportunity for me. Colossians chapter four, and pray to us for us too that God may open a door for our message. Like Paul is constantly looking for an open door of opportunity. And what does Jesus say to the church in Philadelphia? He says there's an open door right now, and it's never gonna shut. That that's really significant. One of the beautiful things about this is one of the nicknames of Philadelphia was that it was the doorway to Asia. Basically, it was the gateway from Asia Minor into Asia. If you wanted to go into Asia, you'd have to come through Philadelphia, it was a doorway. And Jesus is saying, this is more than just a geographical doorway. This is a spiritual doorway. This is how the gospel is going to spread to Asia. This door is always going to be open to you. And that's why Jesus is saying to the church in Philadelphia, I want your faith to be alive. I want it to be on fire. Because those that pass through a doorway of fire, they're going to carry heat and the heat is going to spread. Right? King's cross is a doorway. God has birthed us as a church family in King's Cross because I believe King's Cross functions like a door. And that's why I believe the call on us as a church is to be a community of white-hot faith. So when people walk through the door, they catch fire and they take the fire wherever they go. Now let me just note out for one moment. 597 A.D is when the Roman monks came to the UK carrying the relics of St. Pancras. Fascinating, I hear you say. They landed in Canterbury. They made their way inland looking for a base camp so they could evangelize the British Isles. They found King's Cross. Back then it was called Battle Bridge. They set up camp. They established a church. Hence, old St. Pancras Church, just, you know, a few hundred meters from here. And they thought this feels like a great location, not because of the trains, because they weren't there back then, but because of the river fleet, where we can access the British Isles and we can spread the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, before King's Cross was ever sending out goods across rivers, across the train station many years later, it was sending out good news, a base for mission. And our destinies hidden in our history. This is what God is calling us to be a door for the kingdom of God to break in in this nation. What would prevent us, you know, just being everything God had called us to be? I, we've mentioned in previous weeks that the sort of tides of secularism. I would say, are infiltrating the church and robbing us of what it really means to be the people of Jesus Christ, following the way of Jesus Christ. Let me just name one more today, which is an introspective spirituality, a spirituality that's turned in on itself. People are obsessing right now about the spiritual disciplines, and it's basically become formation for the sake of wellness. So I'm going to Sabbath because I really need to feel fresh you know, and, and I really want to look after my, my mental health. Um, and I'm going to have some digital boundaries because, again, that just looks after my own well-being. And I'm going to fast because that's really good for my body. My body's a temple. So, so I'm going to fast and, and I'm going to meditate, you know, practice Christian mindfulness because that's good for my emotional being. And, and I'm going to do all of this because it helps me be the real me, you know, the fully functioning me. And, and I'm exaggerating to make the point, Right. But it's it's an introspective spirituality. It serves you, but does it serve those around you? When we entered into lockdown... In fact, just before lockdown, I basically said, I believe this is a spirituality that's stirring within our church family, and we need to nurture it. I basically said, point one, we need to retreat. We live in a fast-paced city, a chaotic city. We need to learn to retreat to be still in the presence of God. Time in Scripture, time in prayer, time in God's presence. That will be the place of formation. So we need to develop a contemplative spirituality. But that was just point one. Like the point of retreating into the wilderness for formation is that we might receive the fire from heaven, right? We don't just retreat because the wilderness is is nice. We retreat to encounter God, to be filled with His fire. And when we're filled with His fire, we take the fire into the world. We want a revival in the church because we long for an awakening in the surrounding culture. We need all of this. We need a contemplative spirituality, a revival spirituality, and a missional spirituality. Here's my deep fear. That right now in the church, we've basically said... We just want to focus on retreat. We, we just want formation, but we've turned it in itself, and it's, it's formation for the sake of wellness. Like, oh, the revival spirituality, the missional spirituality, can, can we just chill out in the wilderness? Right? And this is part of the biblical story when people lose their way. They're like, can we just, like, camp here? It sucks in the wilderness, but it's familiar. I feel spiritually so dry But I don't have the energy to move on. So let's just camp here. And and God didn't create us for the wilderness. He leads us into the wilderness to strip away the idols, to pour his fire within us and to send us back as carriers of renewal to bring about awakening. We're not meant to find our home in the wilderness, right? So if you're getting really comfortable right now, I I just want to shake things up and say, what's happening right now spiritually is for the sake of something greater. It's called the kingdom of God. And and I want to say this gently as I can, right? But there are those that aren't coming to Sunday gatherings, right? because of health reasons or, you know, feelings just slightly nervous about being in a gathered space. And and there is so much grace. If that's your situation, we want to say, come back when it's right for you. You know, maybe when you've had the double vaccine or, or when you feel prepared for it, like come back when you are ready. There are others, okay, who just got really comfortable watching Sunday services in their pants right? And, and we've, we've all been there. There is grace for it, right? But we're like, do you know what? Just a leisurely morning, cup of coffee, just have the service on in the background. Don't even need to get dressed. This, this is kind of working really well. And I want to say to those, you need to get back in the room. And I really mean it. You need to get back in the room for your own spiritual sense of vitality, for the spiritual vitality of your kids and your family and your friends. The writer of the letter to Hebrews says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Those that give up on gathered church before long, it's a slippery slope before they give up on faith. They make their home in the wilderness and then they just lose hope. Just going to camp out here. Right? Read Genesis 1 and 2. The task of humanity is to take the wilderness and to convert it into a garden of delight, to expand Eden until Eden fills the earth. So we retreat so that we can receive, so that we can be agents of renewal in the culture around us. We need a kingdom spirituality formation for the sake of mission. Now, sociologists would call this post-traumatic growth. I think probably a lot of us are experiencing some level of post-traumatic stress because of just how chaotic and brutal this year has been. I think a number of people will be experiencing some measure of that. But I also want to mention post-traumatic growth, which is moments of open doors, matched with little strength, but where something entrepreneurial takes place. Let me just give you one quick example, the end of the Second World War. People were on their knees, exhausted and broken. They'd spent however many years bracing for impact, constantly terrified, and then the war's over and they begin to unwind and they just feel absolutely empty and shattered. But there was an open door of opportunity. Now, people just presumed that Churchill would be re-elected, right? But he wasn't. People voted for a leader that was more gentle and more compassionate because they thought that was the key to the journey ahead. So Clement Attlee was voted in as prime minister. He uh, he appointed Anna and Bevan as the minister of health. And it was underneath Bevan that the NHS was launched, right? back end of the 1940s, and Bevan described the NHS as a demonstration of real Christianity. How amazing is that, right? In this last year, we've been going outside, clapping, like this is amazing. We've been celebrating an expression from its founder of real Christianity, It was part of this kind of surge as as people were recovering after the World War, Second World War. And there was a surge of post-traumatic growth. There were many other examples of it. I believe this is a moment for us as the church to birth things that are part of the rebuilding of society after COVID-19. Let me land with this. My my last sermon um, before lockdown kicked in, it was our 10-year birthday. And I basically told the story of our journey as a family. And I said, there's five main chapters because I, I like to really define things and put things in boxes. That's my nature. Um, so I said, chapter one was about establishing home. That was the story of how we began as a church. Chapter two was giving ourselves away. We'd been given 15,000 square foot of rent-free office space and, and a surge of entrepreneurialism swept through the church. We'd been given so much. We're like, how can we bless King's Cross, the business communities? How can we bless those you know, in our immediate Um, environment. So giving ourselves away. Chapter three, we lost York house, this space that we were given. And we went on this nomadic journey and we were trusting God. And that's where we learn like this kind of spirituality that essentially the language we've used is we don't have a map because we have a guide. We don't need a five-year, 10-year plan. We need to keep hold of Jesus, grab his hand and allow him to lead us into what is next. Chapter four is about consecration. You know, we regularly looked at Joshua 3, verse 5. Consecrate yourself today because tomorrow I'm going to do amazing thing things amongst you. And, and then we went on sabbatical, B&I, and we had a really good rest while the rest of the team were working incredibly hard. And we came back from sabbatical and we said, look, we believe the next chapter is about the sound of redemption. It's about abundance, right? And then I basically imposed upon our story the Exodus narrative. That's probably heretical, but it felt fun doing so. And, and, and the journey of the Exodus starts with deliverance. That's the Red Sea miracle. That's the birthing of a nation, the nation of Israel. Then they're given the, the Torah at Mount Sinai, a means of knowing blessings that they can be a blessing to the surrounding nations. Then they journey through the wilderness, learning to trust. Then they have the moment of consecration before they pass through the Jordan River where you know Joshua circumcises his fighting men. So when they eventually go to Jericho, they go at their weakest, right? That's what you call little strength. God's power made perfect in weakness. And then how does the extra story, like where does it move towards? And the answer is inhabiting the land. And I basically said, this is the journey that I believe is ahead of us. Like how amazing that over a year later, as we begin to reemerge from lockdown, none of us knew at the time that we'd have signed a 10-year lease on King's house, further embedding us in the unfolding story of King's cross. Right, this is a time to dig deeper roots so that we can be a blessing to what God is doing in this part of the city. So this is a summary of the letter to the church in Philadelphia. There's an open door of opportunity. And I know that you have little strength. Here's what we need right now is front foot faith. I heard Pete Gregg mention this. At the Wild fast Festival last weekend, he basically said the church has become very accustomed to being on the back foot of the faithfulness of God. But every so often we need to recognize that the faithfulness is so that we can be faith filled and we can step into the fullness of faith, which is front foot faith, right? Some of us have just got really accustomed to being on the back foot. We're going to get through this. God is faithful. He will look after us. But I want to suggest, yes, He will. And absolutely God is faithful, and because of his faithfulness, we can step onto the front foot and begin to expand the kingdom. Like, this is the Exodus story. The first miracle, the parting of the Red Sea, that was the faithfulness of God. They just stood on the banks of the ocean, like, ah, and God Broke the waters, separated the waters. The the miracle at the River Jordan is slightly different. God says, I want you to put your front foot in first. So they step out in faith. And once they've moved in faith, then the waters begin to part. Red Sea is about faithfulness. Crossing the Jordan is about faith-filledness, about stepping into what God has for us. So I want to suggest there's an open door of opportunity. There is little strength. What we need right now is front, foot faith because I believe the Lord is leading us to abundance. Now listen, I'll close with this. I know I said that before, but I really will. I'll close with this. I don't say this with any sort of triumphalistic spirit within of like trying to G the troops up, like everything's great. This is going to be amazing. I don't say it like that. Honestly, personally, I am so exhausted. I feel so dry right? So I I don't say it because I can see all of this on the horizon. I think there were moments where I felt like I really could see something on the horizon. I I say it now just by faith, just because I believe in my gut that the adventure that lies ahead of us is about kingdom abundance. Like I believe, I don't feel it. I believe it with the entirety of my being, that we've been through a season of consecration God said to Joshua, Consecrate yourself today because tomorrow I'm going to do amazing things amongst you. Here we are standing at a doorway of unbelievable kingdom opportunity. Like, I I really want to encourage you to open your eyes and see the phenomenal opportunity. Bring before God your little strength. Just let's acknowledge together we're empty right now. Let's ask the spirit of God to be poured out amongst us, to fan into flame the gift of faith so that we can embrace the abundance that God has prepared for us. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand and let's let's pray.